This week's podcast partner is Nuffield Australia. Applications for the 2025 program close on Friday the 31st of May. It's only a couple of weeks away. If you're looking to select a research topic that will be of use to you, your business, community and industry, and join a global alumni of more than 2,000 people while travelling the world to research that topic, apply for a Nuffield scholarship. Find out more at nuffield.com.au. But, but it's made my men and my staff and my whole, it's just changed the whole attitude of our um, farm, of the, the way we produce wheat now. You know, everyone's got the attitude now, we're actually growing this to go to Brasserie Bread in Sydney or we're growing it to go to whoever's bakery. Like it's, um, it's everyone's just putting in that bit of extra effort to um, produce a really good quality grain and it's quite, I never thought that'd be an outcome of doing what we're doing. G'day and welcome to episode 79 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and welcome to what feels like maybe a super Saturday. Before we jump into chatting about this short mini-series and today's guest, I'd just like to pay my respects and acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where I'm coming to you today from recording this podcast, and I'd like to extend those respects to the traditional custodians of the lands and wherever you're listening to this podcast from. Today and for the next four weeks, we're having a bit of a Super Saturday mini-series as we're celebrating the Syngenta 2020 Growth Awards regional winners, or at least just a couple of them. So today I'm very excited to be sitting down with Simon Doolan. He's a grower and farmer at Doolan Agriculture and is the 2020 Growth Awards regional winner in the sustainability category. Simon and his family grow cotton, sorghum, wheat, barley and chickpeas up out of North Star in northern New South Wales. Simon's story, as you'll hear, and what is shaping his goal is to be able to hand his land on to the next generation in a way that is better for them while maintaining the economics of farming in Australia. What is incredibly cool about Simon's story is not only his background and approach into farming and how he talks about it at kind of the ground level, but also how he's working with some people further through the supply chain. And so what might prick your ears up, it's not that he was working with bakers and trialling sausage rolls and meat pies, although that was part of the job. He's actually welcomed bakers into his field to show them how wheat is growing, whether it's sowing or at harvest time. And uh, I just found this such a fascinating chat. So let's jump into it. Simon, I know it's been a bit of a juggle with Harvest and everything else, but welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. Thanks, Ollie. Thanks very much for having me. Just kicking things off, Simon, can you give us a bit of a run through whereabouts in, in the world you're coming to us from and, and what's, what's been happening at your end? Uh, we're at North Star at the moment. We're 85% done through Harvest. Obviously, the last 15 or 20% can obviously take a long denial, but... Um, just got a few chickies to finish off, and uh, and we've had some good rain. Actually, it's been great for summer crops, and uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to getting back into it tomorrow. And uh, it's all going. It's been a good year so far. Yeah. Oh, that's good, and it is one of the. Oh, it is the most important time, isn't it, where you can get it off and see that year of hard work or years of hard work come come into fruition. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good to see the country's performed well this year due to good rainfall and I suppose a bit of. Bit of um, we've set it up for a good year because we've had plenty of time to get organised for it. It's been that's uh, good. In terms of 
Simon, like this year, I know you're, you're battling water on the ground and rain up in northern New South Wales like a lot of people, but it, it compared to a few years ago, it has been a pretty dramatic shift. So how how has it been? Does it feel like it was just yesterday that, yeah, you guys were battling the drought or does it seem like a distant memory it, now? Yeah, it does, Ollie, but we pretty quickly put those sort of things behind us and move forward and um, most importantly get this harvest out of the way and... Um, and look forward to setting our paddocks and our, our rotations up for the years ahead, really, yeah, yep. I, I want to, uh, well, where we, where we start off the podcast is actually kind of way back when, so we're, we're going to throw back the clock to a younger Simon. But whereabouts did you grow up and, yeah, were, were you on the family property or? Where, Grew up we? at North Star, yeah, yeah, North Star, northern New South Wales, 60 kilometres South of Gundy, 100 kilometres from northeast of Moree. Um, yeah, grew up here all my life pretty well. Um, did go away to boarding school in Sydney, then went away overseas for a year and did some harvesting and ended up in England or something and then went to Marcus Oldham for a year. And then I worked around a bit and then, like in Australia, and then pretty well came back. I've been home pretty well ever since, yeah, yep. And can you... Tell me where that interest in agriculture came from as a young fellow. Was it always something you wanted to do? It was, Ollie, and I, it's always something I've loved. It's always something I've been interested in. I've, I've never really thought about doing anything else, Ollie, because it sort of just was just, I was just drawn to it pretty well. Um, so doing something else, I, I did think about things and uh, whatever, but really it was, no, I just sort of always, wanted to be on the land and, and grow crops pretty well, yeah, yep. And so for, for a kid on the farm, what did it look like to you? Were you always running around helping the old man out or, yeah? Oh, Ollie, there was always something happening, like um, there's always some, some action happening, do you know what I mean? We've, we've never got a, we've always got something happening up here and we always have as kids, there's always trucks coming in or tractors going out or vice versa or it's just... Um, it's just a, from a kid, it was a kid's dream and now it's turned into reality of being able to run it as a, as a business and, and, uh, and make it happen. Yeah. Yep. I'd love to, or it's something I'm going to jump into a bit deeper with you, I reckon, where that shift went from being all fun and enjoyment into the business side. But before we do that, um, your family do have a, a fairly rich history of farming up around that North Star area. It goes, goes back a fair way. Well, my, my great grandfather bought a place a mile down uh, in the twenties, I think it might have been twenties or thirties, and then he had about four sons, and he set them up with a bit of land each or whatever. And then um, my dad and my grandfather had sort of expanded that, and uh, my grandfather's love of growing wheat was of the four brothers. I think one liked sheep, one liked cattle, one liked wheat, and you know they all had their little things. But my grandfather liked liked growing wheat, and he's always been very passionate about it. And I think my father inherited those, uh, that interest. And I've sort of, uh, I've definitely got that. I've definitely got that ingrained in me too, Ollie. Yeah. Yeah. So we've all, we've all farmed. We've always loved growing crops. We do enjoy our cattle. And, but we, the, the, our side of the family's always really loved growing um, wheat and, and, and farming. Yeah. Yeah. What is it for you in particular, when you mentioned kind of the love of growing crops, yeah, what what has it been that's really made? Yeah, just that keeps you passionate about it and keeps you getting out of bed each day to do it. Well, it's it's, it's sowing. Sowing's one of the most exciting times of the year. So you 
Well, that's when it, obviously that's when your crop begins. Um, so you, you, it's important getting yourself. I love I love sowing wheat in the ground and getting the perfect germination, or aiming to get the perfect germination, or even aiming to get the most perfect germination in the most terrible conditions has been a challenge. We've oh, we've we've had some trying um, we've had some trying sowings in the last couple of years, trying to sow wheat in impossible conditions. Well, almost impossible and. Setting these planters up, we've got to put weight down at ridiculous depths and go at silly slow speeds with huge breakouts and and finding and finding that absolute sweet spot for a seed. But yeah, it's been a it's been a real challenge. But then I suppose from sowing it goes through to um, just crop care and then um, yeah, it just never really stops. Medicine is. You obviously finish harvest. You, you know you're already preparing for that following crop, and yeah, so the, the crop cycle never really ends. It's 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 just ongoing. It's great. Yeah, it's cool. I I really enjoy when I'm talking to people who are so passionate about what they're doing, and you can nearly hear, or yeah, you feel like you can see the smile coming through as you're listening to them talk about it. And that, I think that definitely comes through for you. Yeah, well, yeah, it is. It is good. Yeah, we do enjoy it. Mm. So. Going back to that question that I've floated just before, what stage did it go from being fun in the paddocks, yeah, driving machinery into really flicking the switch into the business side of, of farming and at like, yeah, that you're just kind of starting to allude to? We're always into great. We're always like whenever we'd sit around the table and I know you're not meant to talk shop at the table, but we do. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it had come down to little simple things like when I was at school, dad would be sitting there with a bit of paper and be, He'd be trying to work out whether you grow wheat, barley, chickpeas, or whatever, or sorghum, and it just it just simply scribbled down a bit about six lines. It's gonna, you know, just a comparison of of what what the best option is to go forward. Do we double crop that? You know, that's where business sort of starts with farming, and it's that simple little mathematical formula you do on the back of a envelope to see to see if the figures work. Basically, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say that on one sheet of paper because I, I know like in my in my day job and the bosses are always like, well, just show us on, on one piece of paper how kind of everything comes together. Do you reckon that's one of the secrets? It is just don't overcomplicate it, get it out. Oh, you've got to keep it simple. All the overheads and that are all the same and all of that's, all of that's really the same. I mean, that's, that's another obviously level of figures that you have to keep a good eye on as well. But you, a lot of your day-to-day management decisions it can be made within – six or eight calculations whether it's going to work or not yeah yeah incredible I, I want to ask you about your farming career you mentioned you'd been overseas to Marcus and then now back home on the on your own property but have spent time in the family business or I guess the, the broader family business what what is something that you've been really proud of with your farming career to date um I've got a well, one of the biggest things our family farm has done is probably um move through a succession plan which uh, which has been that's one of the that's one of the great outcomes i think all of our families happy with now that that's done and behind us and we can start planning for the next generation of succession planning so or succession you know getting succession um things in place so everyone knows what they're up to and what's happening and yeah so that's probably been one of the biggest achievements we've and that doesn't happen overnight that took us probably five to seven years to get done and done and tidy up. So that's one of the best things we can all look back on now and say, thank goodness that's done. And 
let's move forward and make plans for the next generation because that all happens very quickly, all that does, yeah. This week's podcast sponsor are our friends over at Boarding Schools Expo. Amanda and her team for more than 20 years have been bringing boarding schools closer to the places that people call home. Over 15,000 children have met their future boarding school at one of their events. At the end of June, they're hosting an event in Wagga. So if you're keen or know someone who might, head to their website, boardingexpo.com.au to find out more. Yeah, I think when we spoke before, you said you go through succession twice in your life, once when it's getting handed on to you and once when you're handing it on to the next generation. That's right, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Can can you go a bit deeper, like, without giving us all the details around your succession piece? Because I know it is, like, between my mates and, um, yeah, even within families and whatnot, it, it can be, it is the elephant in the room for a lot of people. How How did you guys approach that? Um, we spoke about it for a while. We ummed and out about it. We did that. We looked at so many different strategies. We spoke to so many different people. Um, and really it was, it was, there's no silver bullet. We're just really, we speaking to a lot of people was a good idea, like professional people. And really when we found the professional person or combining professional people's ideas, we, we did come to a, an agreement so we could sit around the table well, and and put it into place. But sitting around the table, I found, was probably one of the easiest things. It was, it was very easy for our family to sort of say, well, you know, this, that, and there, but it's the legal, the legal side of it and the, and the bank side of it that was the confusing bit, yeah, and the probably expensive bit at the end of the day, but, but the complicated bit, yeah, yeah. So communication was pretty important up front for the whole process to work. Yeah, yeah, very, very important. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Interesting. Have you got Have you got advice for any, um, yeah, young young people in industry or parents and families that are going through it? No, but just as long as everyone's open and honest, and, and if look, if someone's trying to win, it's never going to work. Everyone's got to take. Every, no, if yeah, if you're trying to win, it, it doesn't work. You, you've got to be. Everyone's got to be there. A mate said to me, <laughs> he said. Um, if everyone's if everyone's if everyone's not a hundred percent happy with the outcome, it's the right outcome, and I think that's um, I think that's pretty true. I, what do you, yeah, in a funny sort of way, I think it's sort of um, if everyone's sort of I can live with it, but you know, I think it's it's probably not too far from the truth. Yeah, and was there elements of yeah things that you learned when you were down at Marcus Oldham, or even did you ever approach and, and talk? to mates about the succession you're going through? Or was it always fairly well internalised within? Yeah, I did. But but I find everyone's, everyone's scenario is just so different. It's everyone's business structure, everyone's family, everyone's, it's just, there's just nothing. There's just nothing that you can't tailor one. It's just every, every business is set up so differently and different um, demographics, different everything, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no silver bullet. I want to. Um, I, I do want to jump into talking a little bit more about your business and some of the ways that you guys farm and, and and have approached it. But in terms of just describing for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit more about yeah what your farming business does and and describe it to us? So basically, we're growing. Oh, we're growing wheat, barley, chickpeas, and wheat, barley, chickpeas, sorghum. 
cotton and this year we've got corn in as well. So it's basically 80% dry land, 20% irrigation, over, over, um, overhead irrigation, centre pivots. Uh, water coming, water supplied by the uh, gravitation basin through the pump through diesel bores. And um, yeah, it's, uh, and then we do have cattle as well, just uh, breeding cattle, breeding stock. And we store, we've got, uh, we're pretty set up for our own, a lot of our own, own farms, on-farm storage. We can store a lot of our own grain on farm, which gives us a bit of a marketing advantage uh, with a fair few things and blending capabilities to improve the quality of our grain and um, and drying. We've also got drying, grain drying facilities to improve, to, uh, to make sure we get a good quality grain at harvest so we don't get too much uh, weather-affected uh, grain and things like that, yeah. And when you're talking about like some of those practices, particularly, say, the drying of grain, is that something which is fairly normal for people within your area or is that something that's a bit unique to you guys? Oh, there's, there's not a lot of growers with them. There's not a lot of growers with them. Um, uh, but we just, I just, it just works very well. It takes a lot of pressure off your, your it takes a lot of harvest pressure off. It takes a lot of pressure off your headers and everything like that and uh, and keeps the quality of your grain good and frost because we, we're trying to sell into markets. Uh, you know, uh, we want to get that top dollar for our grain. So we, we're trying to ensure we can get the, you know, the prime hard wheat off basically, the top quality grade so we can sell it into contracts that we've got and um and it's and it's allowed us to form some some pretty good relationships with people um like FPM milling um and people like that who are <clears throat> who are um supplying that top end flour domestically and Providence flour and malt who are um we've got contracts with them or it's, it's a relationship more than anything and every year we do a contract but um you know, we're selling into some good bakeries in um, throughout Sydney or the whole the whole of the. We're actually selling some into New Zealand too. But um, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so it's John John Campbell Providence Flour and Malt's got some really special markets happening. We're selling it to New Zealand and um, Kevin Sherry from FPM and selling it right up the east coast. It's doing really well and people are happy with it because because it's it's a good pretty good quality flour. Well, they're they're all very happy with it. Yeah, yep. This episode and the four-part mini-series is proudly sponsored by Syngenta, the team that has been bringing global agriculture innovation to Australia for more than 90 years. Their world-class seed varieties and crop protection products help farmers overcome climatic challenges and sustainably grow more food, feed and fibre for all of us. In terms of that, like I'd love to flesh out a little bit more. So you're literally growing... And have direct relationships with the the bakers and and the people the retailers of bread is that right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. We don't we don't market it directly ourselves. We simply provide the uh, we provide the the wheat to the flour mill, so he can he can deal with it then. But he's he's um they've been very good to deal with. So it's it's allowed a good relationship. Yeah, yeah. And you've had a few bakers out in the paddocks over the years. Yeah, we have every year. We get a few out that use our products, our um, our flour, and um, and they come up here and and we've had quite a few of them actually, and they're they're very interested, like they're very passionate bakers. A lot of them own their own bake bakeries, and 
or have worked in bakeries all their life, but but never never been on a farm. So they come up here and they either at sowing time or, or harvest, and they're just blown, they're blown away all the, um, about the how it all works because every day you know, they've got their hands covered in flour, but yet a lot of them have never even seen a wheat plant. So it's quite amazing that uh, how <laughs> that how that works, but that's that's the reality of it. There, yeah. And in terms of like we're well, chatting with them, what what do you get out of having them on the farm? In terms of yeah, actually seeing people I, see the growing. It's funny, I you know I I deal with them quite a bit, talk to them quite a bit, but I did notice that when when they did come, when the the visitors here, we actually have a barbecue in the paddock, and well they organise it. Or they come out and with their fresh bread and. And they might even have a few beers from a, a brewster that's from a bit of malt barley or something like that. And we'll all have lunch in the paddock. There might be 10 of them and 10 of us or whatever. But but it's made my men and my staff and my whole, it's just changed the whole attitude of our um, farm, of the, the way we produce wheat. Now, you know, everyone's got the attitude now, we're actually growing this to go to Brasserie Bread in Sydney or we're growing it to go to... You know, wherever in whoever's bakery, like it's um, it's everyone's just putting in that bit of extra effort to um, produce a really good quality grain, and it's quite. I'd never thought that'd be an outcome of doing what we're doing, but um, yeah, it's just everyone's got a fair bit of pride in pride in producing a good quality wheat now. Yeah, I think yeah, that that was the word I was going to say as you're talking about it. it seems like there's that real connection to yeah, what you guys do, whether it's a it's a small part of kind of a bigger picture, but everyone is passionate about what they're doing at each step that it kind of oh, comes together. For yeah, hugely, hugely. Yeah. It's, it, it's unbelievable. You know, we're out here making it, growing the wheat and harvesting the wheat and then the bakers are working with our flour every day. And then to get us to all come together and, and have this, have the sandwiches is pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty, it gives, gives everyone's got their chest out and they're all pretty proud of what, what we're doing. Yeah. It's some very funny conversations, yeah. Bloody earth. And have you had a chance to go down into one of the bakeries along the East Coast or in Sydney or wherever to see them in action as well? Yeah, I have. It's great. Ollie, it's a pretty tough gig going to try the meat pies and things like that. All the croissants or the whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a sort of growing wheat that I'd never pictured uh, I'd... Um, get to try this top shelf sort of, uh, yeah, pastries and things. It's been very good, yeah. I was picturing you, Simon, in there first thing in the morning at the still in the, the still of the night and, yeah, helping them make the bread for the day. But you go in when, once the shop's open, do you? Oh, look, Ollie, I've done that. I've done, yeah, yeah, I've done both, but it's much, the taste testing's even better, as you can imagine, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Uh, that's really cool. And, and I have seen... Like on on their website and whatnot, that like it, they really do celebrate the farmers that are putting in and, and growing for them, which is really cool to see and something which um yeah comes through. I think. Yeah, well, it's amazing talking to the bikers. The bikers are um obviously a lot of the people are there. A lot of them are small businesses, so they're trying to set their little things like because our flowers consistent every twelve months. Uh, what they're finding is they can set their their dye mixture as soon as our new season wheat comes in, set it. And then they don't have to really go back to the bakery and tweak it too much because it's, it's a huge thing, the way it rises and the way the characteristics of the flour move when they're making the pastries and everything or whatever they're making, the fresh loaves or sourdough or whatever. 
Um, but they've just come back to us and said, we've, we've really can walk away from the bakery within reason now and run our businesses because the consistency of the, the way that the flour works is, is amazing. Yeah. And, you know, that was an outcome of it. I didn't ever think would, that it happened, but now they, so now they, they just love using the product. Yeah. That's cool. And I, I guess it's, it's playing that small part in helping someone else's business as well, which you probably wouldn't see if you're just trading straight into the commodity market of it. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to chat about your business and obviously 2018, 2019, tougher years for a lot of people. How, how were those years for you guys? Uh, they were they were very tough. Obviously, we actually did grow some crops in those years um, on very limited rainfall. I couldn't really believe um, some of the rainfall of our, some of the numbers that we were growing wheat on. I mean, it was only like we we're growing a ton and a half to the hectare or something like that. Um, but we we're growing it on hardly any rain. I think we had like thirty mils of in crop rain, and we harvested a ton and a half to the hectare, which was pretty. Pretty. That was a barley, actually. That. Um, so that was pretty outstanding. Another year, I think we had um, sixty mils of in-crop rain in three falls or something like that, um, and we grew like one point eight tonne to the hectare. So it was pretty amazing results. Um, we were getting, but having said that, our yeah, it's and, and because we were able to produce a bit of cover for our soil with that little crop. Um, it probably did set us up a little bit better for that following year because we had a bit of straw in our country, whereas some of our other paddocks that we weren't able to get germinated or um, a strike on, the, you know, the country was left a bit bare. And, and when it did rain, it wasn't able to hold the moisture and uh, get some water infiltration into the soil. And is that your philosophy of farming? Like it is to keep the yeah the soil covered, basically, keep um, things growing on top so you... It's- it's pretty well like a veggie garden. Only if you, if you have a veggie garden, you need to put your mulch on, or a rose garden, or you have to keep your mulch on, and you've just got to slow that water down, and, and when it does, and protect your soils, and, and put everything back, put as much back in as you as you possibly can. Yeah, this having the straw cover is one of the number one things in our farming system. It is so important in our in our rainfall. Yeah, it, it is very important. And and that's something which I do want to chat about, kind of the the planning which goes into your business. And um, you've spoken previously around during the drought years, you guys were actually spending a fair bit of time out and about in the paddock. You're not certainly not just sitting on your hands. It is getting ready for the next rainfall. Can can you talk through a little bit around that philosophy and approach that you guys take? Uh, well, I suppose you you drive when it when it's wet and you and you're busy and you're farming and everything. I mean, you're busy getting your crops right but we we found ourselves in the last few years of dry when we didn't actually have a lot to do we we sort of utilized that time um so we said right when it does rain let's make sure that everything is in top top notch order make sure the condor banks are under control every bit of the paddocks are in so we've we've just been tweaking and, and tidying up some development in our country to get our paddocks more and more efficient by deep doing some deep ripping um, on headlands, on compacted areas, um, tidying up some fence lines, ripping some fence lines out that really aren't necessary. So coming into this crop here, we've sort of gone, well, that's, that used to be two paddocks or three paddocks. Now it's one paddock. And look, because we've deep ripped it, 
we've got you can't even see where the old fence and the old the old headlands used to be. It's just gone straight through, and our efficiency this year it just increased hugely. It's been a, really been surprised all of the team here. We've all we've all sort of commented on about how much better it's it's made things and how much more efficient it's it's working because. We did that when we had time in our hands to do it, yeah. It's like sometimes you even surprise yourself with what you guys are doing and how things come together through your team. Yeah, we, do, we do talk a lot. We, talk, we don't stand around talking, but we, yeah. we we do talk. We're all quite passionate. We're all sort of heading the same direction. And, uh, yeah, no, we all joke and carry on. And I think that's important to be able to to, to have a good team of people around you. I just I, I enjoy it. I mean... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, we're lucky. We've got we've got a good team of people we work with, and I think that's so important that everyone's got a good attitude. And and you know, it's a can-do attitude. Everyone's got to be able to do everything, and or not be able to do everything, but everyone's got to just if something needs doing, just do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you get asked it very often or not, but um, I'm I'm intrigued within your team, Simon. What would you say your like leadership style is? Uh, we discuss a lot of things. Um, I, I like. Um, I think discussion's the best way to, to do it. Um, leadership, you know, to be f- flexible. But uh, but as long as the day, end of the day, as long as it gets done, I don't really care who does it. As long as it happens, and long, as long as it gets done to a good standard, I think is very important. So uh, everything's got to be done with good attention to detail, and um, and I like to be in the paddock most of the time or all the time and, and monitoring things and keeping an eye on things and I'm happy for, I don't really need to drive the tractor, but I'm happy to do whatever it takes to make sure that tractor and that plant is doing the best job it possibly can by, if I have to follow it in my tire, I'll follow it in my tire until that plant is set up perfectly or, or whatever. And I think that works quite well. I mean, the men enjoy it because they get to to get into it and they can turn around and they know that I'm watching and they wouldn't. And, and we're setting up the planter together doing whatever it is doing doing as good a job as we possibly can yeah it's interesting it's that kind of nearly like a, a coaching role but it is yeah learning learning alongside you um and not in a way of it's kind of just go out there and, and get it done and all yeah just there's no time. point just driving the bloody tractor i mean the tractor if it's not doing the, the, the if the plant is not doing the best job it possibly can yeah I'd, yeah i'd love to know so around you were one of the regional winners for the 2020 Syngenta Growth Awards. What does sustainability mean to you and in, in your business? Well, to me, sustainability is probably one of the most important aspects of farming, I think. Sustainability is, it's, um, if I, if our goal in doing agriculture is um, to pass this land on um, in a better state than we've received it, from our forefathers, which is with my father and my grandfather. Um, and to do that, they've done it through sustainable practices. They've done it through rotation, rotation of chemicals, rotation of fertilizer, rotation of crops. Um, and that all comes back to being sustainable. I think, you know, the old monoculture way doesn't work. That's been proven years ago. Um, yeah, sustainability is just, um, it's, 
it's the only way to to look after our fragile soils here where we are too. We need to have sustainable farming practices, otherwise you can uh, it won't last. It, it won't last. Well, they, they put it this way: the country won't be as good as good order as it as it was when I got it if I if I don't keep up to date with sustainable practices. And is that something you're constantly learning about from whether it's people in your district or yeah online or where do you, where do you go to get that information for yourself? Ah, well, there's so many things you can look at these days, Ollie Wicked. Um, but really, one of the uh, talking to other growers is fantastic. Uh, agronomists are good. Uh, there's that much information out there. And trips overseas, not that I've done many, but I've done a few. Trips overseas has probably been one of the most eye-opening things that I do, and I'll only ever go overseas once every ten years or whatever. <laughs> but um, or, and that's not true every five, every four or five years because of a couple of my kids' rugby tours to New Zealand. But um, trips overseas are probably some of the biggest eye-openers I think you'll get. Um, I've learned a lot from trips overseas, and yeah, they've been. They've been they've been good. They open you up to totally different. So you, you can come in a totally different approach and yeah, pick it a bit. It's good. And fingers crossed the the borders open because that is one of the the parts of the prizes alongside the other growth award winners. You guys would be heading overseas hopefully next year. I think is the plan. To... Yeah, end of next year, yeah, middle of the second half of next year, Ollie. We hope we can uh, we hope we can do that. It'd be great to get all of the winners together and. Um, and pick their brains and, and see what we can get out of each other. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun, yeah. And see some pretty extraordinary businesses. I think it's in Europe, isn't it? Yes, it is meant to be, yeah. Yep, let's hope it can be, yeah. In terms of when you're – so how the awards work, it's you're nominated by people within the network and then um, independently judged. Can you share with me a little bit about when you were actually announced as one of the winners? Do you, do you remember the moment or remember – yeah? Getting the news? Well, well, I didn't actually. I didn't actually have a lot of. I, 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 I was on Zoom or one of those things, and I didn't. Have, I was outside. I had terrible phone range, uh, like internet range, and I knew. I honestly just was blown away. I, I couldn't. I was very. I was very surprised. Um, I was very. Um, I think surprised that I got it. I'd, I'd literally written a uh, like just something about what we do and. Um, I had bad phone range, so I couldn't really reply to them, and uh, it was it was quite funny. But uh, I was very excited and very proud to. Well, Sandy, my wife, and I were both very proud to be involved in the project for one, and let alone to take out the sustainability was. Um, well, one of the categories in sustainability was meant a means a hell means a awful lot to us. It does, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's really exciting. I can't wait to see. Yeah, well, hopefully get up there and see you guys at your place, but also follow the trip and and the work you guys are doing. I do. Yeah. I do have one final question, Simon. This is a tricky one. No, it's not at all. It's one which I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, so no stress about it. But I love choosing students in Year 10 as I think Year 10 is quite an interesting year where people start to think about careers and life kind of beyond school. What advice would you give to young kids in Year 10 um, about opportunities and, and why they should potentially pursue a career in agriculture? Uh, the, well, the advice is would, it's basically, if you like, if you're interested in anything, uh, agriculture involves everything. So 
So look, get your get your get your maths up to date, and then and then work on some sciences, and then you can go anywhere in agriculture. Um, it's an amazing industry. It it, it uh, yeah, and and if agriculture doesn't excite you, would definitely don't get involved. But um, it's um, I think I think that's very important to to love what you do. So if you're at all interested in agriculture, it's it's definitely the path you should follow. Um, yeah, there's endless opportunities in in so many areas of it, from you know plant breeding and and to right through to agronomy to to wherever. It's um, endless opportunities and um, and also can lead to a great gateway of life with some with some amazing people and, and work amazingly passionate people. There's um, there are in agriculture, so I think um, you can all um, and you've all got so much to talk about too. It can set you up for. A, a great life in a great town and a great wherever you want to live really and, and you can be involved in something that you love. Well, that's it for the first part of our four-part Super Saturday mini-series as part of the Syngenta 2020 Growth Awards winners. I hope you enjoyed Simon's story and to find out more, we've got a write-up over at humansofagriculture.com so you can read a little bit more about Simon the work he's doing with various bakeries and also just about how important people are to his business. Next weekend, I'm so excited to be chatting to someone who I've wanted to get on the podcast for quite some time. That is Sarah Nolet. She's a 2020 Growth Awards regional winner in the innovation category. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear this chat. So make sure you keep your ears pricked for next Saturday and we'll have the next part of this series coming to you. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll chat to you next week.